0: Coming up on the Sark Fighter Podcast.
1: And I had just gone on a trip with my best friend to Vegas. It was a girl's trip. We had a great time. We saw a bunch of shows, walked all over the town, felt great. And I came home and I noticed I was getting really winded.
0: Amy Cobb is a nurse practitioner treating COVID patients, raising a family, and fighting sarcoidosis.
1: So far, I, have, I don't have skin or ocular involvement which is a blessing, but I think I've got everything else.
0: <laughs> wow. I'm also wow, wow, wow. Yeah, being worked ahead.
1: for neuropathy right now.
0: Coming up, Amy tells the story of how Sark has slowly invaded her body. This is the Sark Fighter Podcast, living with sarcoidosis and other rare diseases.
1: Here's your host, John Carlin.
0: And welcome to the Sark Fighter Podcast. This is episode 26, and it is brought to you in part by a grant from A-Tire Pharma. I'll have an update on their research in just a couple of minutes, some new and exciting information from A-Tire. I want to tell you first, the official Sark Fighter song is called Zombie, and that's by Mark Steyer and his band, uh, the White Hot Lizards. Mark is a fellow Sark Fighter, and you can hear his story about how Sark kind of took him out of the game as a hockey player. That was back in episode 12. Seems like forever ago. But the song is outstanding, and it really does tell the sarcoidosis story. Proceeds from the song will be donated to the Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research and... um, I'll have a link if you want to listen to the whole song in the show notes. And occasionally, I just put the song on at the end of an episode. But uh, I'm not sure if I'll do that this time or not. You'll just have to listen. Meanwhile, uh, I call this the Sark Fighter Podcast because... I'm Fighting sarc. so are you, whether you're a patient, a caregiver, a researcher, and that's why we're all here in this uh, space, which is the word that everybody likes to use now, the, the sarcoidosis space. So here we are, and we're all together uh, for one reason or another, and we're listening because we want to know more about sarcoidosis, or we don't want to feel alone, and that's what this podcast is all about. It's where, there's a place where where everybody gathers uh, and there are so many SARC patients because well, there's about 200,000 in the United States and people don't know anybody else who has SARC. It's, it's just rare enough. Uh, it's an orphan disease and, and people feel like they're all alone. They don't know what's going on with their body. They don't know why they have this incurable disease, and uh, one of the things that I, I like to do is give you a reason for hope. In the podcast, whether it's because you hear somebody else's story and you think, well, they're suffering, but they're making it. They, you know, they're making do. This is how they're making do. They're going to counseling. They're they're dealing with the drugs. They're they're finding a way back to the uh, you know some version of the life they once knew, or maybe they're. Um, you know, maybe they're they're finding new ways to appreciate life, and you know, learning, learning that uh, the the journey is the destination, and they tell you, well, you have to stop and smell the roses along the way, and you know, but maybe the roses are the destination. That's that's where you get your happiness. Listening to the birds sing. Um, so uh, Tracy Bottenheimer from our last episode talked about that. You just had you have to redefine your priorities and your goals and. Just kind of accept where you are, but if you can do that, um, your your life becomes much better. And so there are there are different avenues that you can take to to move forward, and uh, that's that's what we try to talk about here on the Sark Fighter podcast. And I, you know I just love it when I hear from somebody via email, and my email will be in the show notes that that either they want to come on the podcast or they have found the podcast and. Uh, Then they go back and they listen to the back episodes. Um, So uh, that that always makes me feel good that uh, that we're putting this out there. And and I say we because I mean, yeah, of course, I'm the host. So um, but I started this because I wanted people's stories to get out there and people come on and bravely. Share how Sark has messed up their life and that, and they put it out there, and so um, all of us are a community together and so when I say we that 's what I mean so everybody who 's come on uh, and and talked about their volunteer efforts or their their life as a patient um, that 's that 's really what what it 's all about here uh, and normally i I try to well i 've so far I've been successful. I release a a new podcast every other Monday. And right now, uh, I'm actually recording this on New Year's Day 2021, and uh, I'm usually uh, right now I'm about uh, two weeks ahead of, uh, of where uh, I need to be, so I've, I've always got a back episode and I'm not up against it, and I've been very fortunate that people have accommodated uh, the recordings and their schedule so that we can keep the podcast going. Um, but yeah, so that's that's what the Sark Fighter is all about. If you're new to the disease, you're trying to figure out what you have, You know what is sarcoidosis, uh, maybe your doctor doesn't even know. That's that's not that uncommon, unfortunately, uh, or, or knows just enough. Um, I did a recording with Dr. Simon Hart from the UK in episode... Two. That was the second episode, but it's sort of like sarcoidosis 101. And if you're just trying to figure out what sarcoidosis is, uh, you might want to go back and listen to that. Uh, and then I told my story in episode one. If you want to know more about what's going on with me and my neurosarc, uh, you can go back and and listen to that. Um, and then, of course, uh, we're I'm working as a volunteer with the Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research, and if you want to learn about how Uh, The foundation came into being Episode 11 is an interview with the founders Andrea and Redding Wilson Andrea is the Sark fighter in that family And they started the foundation from their kitchen table And it's based in Chicago And when, when she started having issues There wasn't a place to go You'd go and do a Google search and find, you know, crickets So And now they're raising millions of dollars for research and all kinds of patient outreach and really just trying to help people. And so uh, 20 years ago this year, well, 21 years ago, as we get a little further into the year 2021, um, Andrea and Redding dug in and started FSR. And and you can listen to their story in episode 11. Um, And then I just have to add that in late 2020, FSR added a new CEO named Mary McGowan. And that's episode 22. She's got, man, she's got a lot of experience in the nonprofit healthcare space. There's that word again, but but she's worked um, in the nonprofit healthcare um, area for most of her life. Uh, I didn't want to say space again. And uh, we are expecting, I, I expect that she is going to be able to take FSR to new and better places and help even more people. And that's, that's fantastic. So if you want to meet Mary, it's episode 22. Now, as I mentioned, ATAR Pharma has been a presenting sponsor for the podcast. And when we talk about hope, uh, this is one of the areas we look at. Uh, funding for new research is is funneled through the foundation, and uh, ATAR is receiving some of that. And uh, Sanjay Shukla, Dr. Shukla, is the CEO of ATAR. I interviewed him in episode 17, but they are reaching the next phase. I just got the email uh, in the trials with their drug. And if you've been watching the whole COVID-19 Thing play out with the with the vaccine. Typically, there are three phases that you want to go through when you test a drug. You know, does it work? Is it safe? And all these other considerations: Are there side effects? How bad are the side effects? Um, and you know, or or does it not work? And so they give, that's why they give people the placebo and then they give people the drug and it's a double blind test and. And people don't know who got what, but then you track the patients who got better. And hopefully it says, ah, the ones who actually got the drug are doing better and they're not suffering any or many side effects. And uh, that process takes time. So with the COVID, they had to fast track it and they got it out in less than a year, which is amazing. But it's it's not usually that quick, But I did get the email, email from ATAR telling me they expect to report some findings in the third quarter of 2021. Um, and I'm going to read just a little bit, and this gets a little um, little medical terminology-ish here. But ATAR has completed the target enrollment in its Phase 1B-2A clinical trial of its lead therapeutic candidate, which is the medicine candidate means medicine here. And that's atir 1923 is the name of the drug. Hopefully, if, if it works, they'll come up with something more interesting than ATIR 1923 But that's, that's what's typical is when the drug is going through the process, it doesn't have the name that it'll have that, you know, like methotrexate or something like that um, once it's available to the public. And this is uh, this is for patients with pulmonary sarcoidosis. So the studies enrolled thirty six patients, and I have a quote here uh, from Dr. Shukla that says, "We are pleased to meet the target enrollment of this important study, especially during the COVID nineteen pandemic, reaching this significant milestone for our ATIRE nineteen twenty three clinical program, and the interest we have seen from patients to join the trial highlights the need for new therapies for this chronic." Debilitating disease, and he continues. We look forward to sharing the results in the third quarter of. It says here next year, but this I received this in late 2020, so this year, uh, 2021, which prov- will provide meaningful insights into atir 1923's therapeutic potential in patients with pulmonary sarcoidosis and other major immune-driven forms of ILD. Now, I, I'm, I will post a link to the entire news release here in the show notes, but it goes on to talk about the different things, tolerability, uh, the efficacy um, of, of ATAR-1923, and, and I'm not going to get into all that. It's a bunch of medical terms in here. But the, the nice takeaway from all of this also is that ATAR-1923 might actually help people with covid with COVID-19, because of the respiratory complications, and so if there is some way that a SARC drug can help uh, COVID-19 patients, well, wouldn't wouldn't that be wonderful? Uh, it'd be wonderful if anything would help anybody, but it's just interesting that maybe this this drug that was targeting. Um, sarcoidosis patients could help COVID-19 patients. So that's one of the other things that they're looking at. And again, you can read about that in the news release that I'll put in with the show notes. Now, uh, a, uh, a couple of weeks ago, a couple of episodes ago, I shared with you that I, I crashed my mountain bike. I went over the handlebars and I landed in a fallen tree, lots of sharp branches sticking up, had a big gouge in my leg. I mean, it was, it was big and it was deep. I'm just gonna leave it at that right below my knee I wound up um, I wound up driving myself to the ER and getting all kinds of stitches. They had to stitch it underneath and then there were 14 stitches on top now I have this beautiful scar but the stitches are out the leg is good I actually am riding again and yesterday I went back to that spot on the trail very carefully and from the other direction because I, I was sort of in shock when I left there and I never really did know what I hit. And I did find this stump in the trail, which is, I thought I'd hit a stump, but it seems so small and honestly innocuous and not the type of thing that would cause a crash that I couldn't figure it out. Well, the, the nearest thing I can figure is that I had my pedal in the wrong place because the stump is there. Uh, and I think that i what I did is I hit the stump with my pedal, which the chances of that are slim and none, but that's the only thing I can figure out. Um, But I'm back on the bike, and the weather is bad now. So I'll be doing uh, a lot of cycling inside, and my wife has a Peloton. And I love these Peloton bikes. You can take classes, or they just give you scenery, and you can ride through the scenery. Um, But you can also follow other riders, and I'm on there as Sark Fighter. So if you're on Peloton and you want somebody to follow... Just look for Sark Fighter and follow me, and I will definitely follow you back. I think, I'm, I, think I have like five quote-unquote friends on Peloton, but they're trying to make it a little bit of a social experience, and that would be cool. Maybe we could get a class with just Sark patients sometime, or we can all sign up for the same class at the same time, and who knows. Um, but anyway, I'm on Peloton. I have been for some time as Sarkfighter. And then also, if you want, you can follow my cycling blog, carlinthecyclist.com. And I do have a series of posts in there on cycling with sarcoidosis, including, man, my journey through 2019 was tough with all the side effects of the medicines I was taking. And it was just sort of a downward spiral for the whole year. And and I chronicled that with my blog. And and you can check that out there. That might be interesting to you, even if you're not a cyclist. All right, coming up today... Uh, We've got my interview with Sark fighter, Amy Cobb. Sark hit her, uh, as far as she knows, she was diagnosed in 2016. And Amy is a nurse practitioner. So she is actually one of these people that treats patients. A lot of times the doctor is busy, but they say, well, you can see the nurse practitioner, and I've done that more times than I can remember, and that's always a good experience, uh, and so they, she goes in, and she diagnoses and treats patients, and, and she can prescribe medicine the whole nine yards, So, uh, but she has been trying to push through. She describes herself as a gym person. She's a mother of three. And all of a sudden, just doing regular everyday activities. She couldn't catch her breath. She couldn't figure out why. And of course, we all know that if she's on the podcast, uh, it turned out to be sarcoidosis. So coming up, my interview with Amy Cobb.
1: I feel like a zombie Just feeding at stumbling
0: Hi, I hope you're enjoying the Sark Fighter podcast. You may be wondering, what can I do to help? How can I be a part of the sarcoidosis solution? It's simple make a donation to KISS, kick in to stop sarcoidosis. 100% of the money goes to the Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research. Look for a link in the show notes of the Shark Fighter podcast. Welcome back to the Sark Fighter podcast. And joining me now is Amy Cobb. Amy is a fellow Sark fighter and she's also a nurse practitioner, proving once again that it doesn't matter who you are, or what your background is, sarcoidosis just doesn't care. Amy, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you. And thank you for having me.
0: And we are talking to you in uh, not too far from Atlanta, Georgia this morning. Correct. Okay. If you-
1: ever heard of the show the walking dead uh-huh with zombies i live in the town where that is filmed no way denoya georgia yes
0: uh-huh do you see any zombies just walking we around?
1: do we, we do we have yeah. walker stalkers people come from all over the country to tour our town the locations where it's filmed it's in its last season now but that is our claim to fame
0: uh-huh that's great that's great <laughs> And uh, and you have sarcoidosis, so I guess probably sometimes you feel <laughs> you yeah, feel, like feel like those like a zombies zombie. because yes. you know our, our theme song for the podcast is, is called zombie. So yes. um yeah. Uh well anyway, uh let's uh, I, I want people to hear your story. You have sarcoidosis in various places all over your body. Do you want to share some of that with us?
1: Sure. Um I'll tell you where I have it. And then I can tell you how I found out I had it, if that sounds good.
0: Sure, yeah, that sounds great. So
1: since I'm in medicine, we'll do head to toe. So I have some brain lesions that they assume are sarcoidosis, but they may not be, they have not been biopsied. So those are monitored with brain MRIs. Um, I have esophageal dysmotility, and that is where my esophagus does not squeeze properly. And my esophagologist, which I did not know there was an esophagologist until I met him. He's a gastroenterologist who specializes in the esophagus. And
0: does that make it hard for you to eat or how how does that present? Yeah. Okay.
1: Yes. So so when I tell you kind of my timeline, I'll tell you how they figured out I have that. But I'm going to do a quick rundown of where I have it. Um, So I have esophageal dysmotility. In my lungs, I have granulomas and I have something called bronchiectasis, which is where the bronchioles, if you think of your lungs being your trees and the bronchioles being the limbs, um, they should squeeze down when you cough so that you can push your mucus out of your lungs. And a portion of my bronchioles are kind of blown out like a balloon that's just kind of wobbly. So I can't always squeeze out my secretions. Um, So I take mucinex they say twice a day for the rest of my life for that, to help prevent pneumonias. My pulmonologist said that is because of my sarcoidosis. Um, So the lung granulomas are not really causing any problems. I don't have any pulmonary fibrosis yet, thank goodness, but I get the pulmonary function tests to monitor for that. As for cardiac, I have some pulmonary hypertension that shows on my echocardiogram, which is an ultrasound of the heart. I have not had the right heart cath that confirms it, but I do go see a pulmonary hypertension specialist once a year and he's monitoring me for that. Um, And he said that's from my sarcoidosis. And then I have lesions on my spleen, which did get smaller when they upped my methotrexate. So again, nobody likes to do a spleen biopsy due to the risk of bleeding, but we assume those are SARC lesions as well. And I have kidney involvement. <laughs> so I've had a kidney biopsy.
0: Uh-huh.
1: So I see a nephrologist um, for that. And I that was positive.
0: Not... That biopsy, the kidney biopsy was positive.
1: So what it showed was glomerulosclerosis, which is damage to the kidneys. My nephrologist said that means the damage has been done. It's not active in the kidney right now. Okay. But I'm on a medicine to kind of keep my kidneys in check. Um, so far I have, I don't have skin or ocular involvement, which is a blessing, but I think I've got everything else.
0: <laughs> wow. I'm wow, also wow, wow. Yeah, being
1: for neuropathy right now. So, um, we're, we're checking more for neurosarc and, um, possible small fiber neuropathy. I just had a biopsy for that.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would love it if I could get the feeling back in my fingers. I'll tell you what, that's, uh, yeah. That is, you yeah. know, it's like every time I take a uh, cover off of a pill bottle I drop it, it, it just a little, it makes me nuts.
1: These what, are what, my, you're
0: holding up right now. So you wearing gloves?
1: I wear these a lot. And, you know, with COVID at work, I can't really wear these germ wise into my rooms. But when I go in my office, I have a little heater on my desk and I put these gloves on just to get the feeling in my hands enough to where I can type and document um, I wear them when I drive, it can, you know, Georgia gets hot. So yeah, I may yeah. be wearing them in the summer, not in public, <laughs> but if I'm at home, I'll have them on just to get some circulation to my hands and feeling in my fingers.
0: Yeah. So what, yeah, what, what viewers or listeners can't see right now is you're wearing like these blue gloves with the ends of the fingers cut off. Mm-hmm. Um, and so th- you keep those with you all the time.
1: Oh, well, I have a pair in every room. I have different colors.
0: You know, oh wow! My
1: kids steal them because they think they're cool, and I'm like, no, mommy needs those.
0: Yeah. Now let's and let's point this out because you're going through all of this, but you have three children. Yeah. You're a nurse practitioner, so you're working on patients.
1: Yeah. And
0: and it's COVID times, so you are probably just right out straight all the time.
1: Yes. So, so the way I was diagnosed, I turned 40 and I had just gone on a trip with my best friend to Vegas. It was a girls' trip. We had a great time. We did saw a bunch of shows, walked all over the town, felt great. And I came home and I noticed I was getting really winded. And I thought, this is really odd. I did great in Vegas. Maybe I'm just exhausted. Um maybe I'm dehydrated, you know, cause in a hotel, they charge you $8 for a bottle of water. So right. <laughs> I thought maybe that's it. So after a few more weeks of that, this was in 2016, um, I'm like, this is not getting any better. And I started running low grade fevers and I was exhausted. I'm a go, go, go person. And I would notice, I would be at work thinking, okay, I've got three more hours and then I've got to, you know, do my second shift, which is motherhood, mm-hmm. go home, get the kids fed, bathed, all that stuff. And then I can go to sleep. Like I would count down the hours until I could go to sleep. And I had never felt that way in my life on top of being winded and coughing. Wow. So It took about three months um, and several specialists and a chest CT and a brain MRI. Um, because during that period, also my my face went numb on one side and I was having trouble getting words out. Like I'd come out of an exam room to tell my nurse to give a shot, but I couldn't remember the name of the shot or, you know, I was having this brain fog and brain
0: fog. Yes.
1: Like what is going on? You know, I'd look at a family member and I couldn't remember their name. So I'm like, okay, something's not right. So long story short, I got a call on a Monday at work with my brain MRI and chest CT results. And they said, Amy, you have lymphoma and multiple sclerosis. And I was supposed to work 12 hours that day. (laughs) They said, you need to see a neurologist and an oncologist ASAP. And my youngest child was four. My middle child was six. My oldest was 12. And I'm like, wait a minute (laughs) Uh because as a provider I'm used to giving the news, not receiving the news. And that was not really on my radar at all. Um, Long story short, I do not have lymphoma. We don't think I have MS. My neurologist is looking at that, just kind of making sure again, since I'm having more um, numbness. So I'm having more MRIs in January. But he doesn't think that's it. He thinks it's all sarcoidosis related.
0: So Um, how did they, how did they eventually get to sarcoidosis?
1: Okay. So I called, so I work in medicine, so I have an advantage. Right. So I called the oncologist that I work with and was like, Hey, they say I have lymphoma. And he's like, no, you don't have lymphoma until you have a biopsy. Go to the lung doctor and get a biopsy because all the lymph nodes that were big were in my chest. So probably like many of your listeners, I had a bronchoscopy, which is like a colonoscopy of the lungs, you know, they go down. My biopsy was inconclusive. So he called me and said, I think you need a mediastinoscopy, uh, media, mediastinum, what is it? You know, where they take it out of your mediastinal nodes.
0: Yeah, Um, right. Where they put the needle in? Is that what yes. you're Yes. In okay. your yeah.
1: sternum. Yeah. In
0: your sternum. And yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Yes. The, the word is escaping me because of my brain fog. Well, it's brain fog.
0: That's that's what yeah. we're all used to that.
1: <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. And I said, um, I don't really want to do that. Remember, I'm 40 with a four-year-old at this point. I'm like, eh, no, I don't, because I would have to go to a cardiovascular surgeon to have that. Uh-huh. I was like, um, I think I have a big lymph node here above my collarbone. Can we check that? So we did CAT scan and ultrasound to make sure it was big enough to get a biopsy that would be effective. So a general surgeon I work with actually did general surgery, put me all the way under and removed the entire node instead of just doing a biopsy. Okay. And it came back positive for sarcoidosis.
0: So that was the non-caseating granuloma. Granulomas, yes. And that's, uh, that's always uh, a positive. Um, there, there's no, once you have that, then it's sarcoidosis. There's right. no and so other I was option.
1: Given this quote unquote, fantastic news that I do not have lymphoma, but I have sarcoidosis. And in my career at that point, I had treated a few patients who had it, but not many. I, I was still looking things up about it myself. Um, and I didn't know anybody personally at that moment who had it, you know, I had just, seen some people over my career. Mm -hmm. And, um, so I started high dose prednisone and we all know how that goes.
0: Right. How many milligrams do you remember?
1: 60, 60. 60?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I was, I hate to say homicidal, but (laughs) my coworkers would be like, you know, talking in my ear and I'm like sitting there about to crawl out of my skin because you're just so revved up from that prednisone.
0: Uh, and, you, and, you, and you have no filter. So you just, no. whatever you think comes out of your mouth, you're like a walking case for human resources.
1: Yes. <laughs> and I take care of people for a living. So it was difficult. And I had small children. Yes. So trying to keep my patience with my children and I was exhausted and I uh-huh. felt terrible. Did you your know?
0: face blow up? Did you yeah, get the moon face?
1: the whole everything. I watched what I ate. I weighed every day. You just gain weight. It does not matter. Right. It does not matter.
0: You gain it. I gained it in my, in my abdomen, the back of my neck and in my face.
1: Yes. And I still can't get my neck completely back to normal. My face has pretty much gone back to normal, but Mm -hmm. so while I was, tapering from the methotrexate I, I mean tapering down off the prednisone I was going up on methotrexate and I have to do the injections because the pills just made me vomit um so I have been on methotrexate since January of 2017 and I have tried to wean off yeah. and any time I've tried to wean off it seems to have shown up in another organ so I'm like eh, I guess I'm just on it
0: now. Wow. I, I tell you, I, you know, um, I've heard various things about methotrexate. I've tried it twice and I get this just malaise. I just, I just cannot function. And I've done it. I've done the the pills and I've done the, the I've still got, I've got three shots sitting in the closet right now, but I, I said to my doctor, I, I can't do this anymore. I can't. And well, I don't know how you do it. I mean, what, what is it? What kind of side effects do you have from it?
1: Well, my rheumatologist said, you know you take care of sick people. I'm in family practice. So he said, I really want you to take it on the weekend when you're not around patients to which I looked at him like, are you crazy? Because that's when I'm going to the ball field with my children and doing my laundry and going to the grocery store and cleaning my house. And you know, that's when I'm living. So we negotiated and I take it. My nurses are, fantastic and they actually give it to me because it's easier to get in my arm if somebody gives it to me so they give it to me on Friday afternoons and between 1 30 and 3 they try to give it to me I'm usually asleep by 8 o'clock that night and I when I say asleep I mean passed out like Mm -hmm. you feel like your whole body's a dead weight is what it does to me um so that's Friday nights and then saturdays i can usually get up if my kids have a nine o'clock game you know i'm up but it's i'm in slow motion saturday mornings but Mm -hmm. i guess my body has gotten used to it over this course of time and i get 10 to 12 hours of sleep usually on friday nights it's kind of like my methotrexate coma i guess
0: (laughs) that's that's when you recharge too from all the the stuff you have going on i'm sure Mm -hmm. um wow now and so uh how old are your kids right now
1: so right now they are 8, 10, and 18. And the oh. oldest just joined the Air Force. So wow. he has left the nest. Yes, thank you.
0: Wow. And so you've got two little ones now. With with COVID, are they still doing team sports or is that curtailed? How's that worked?
1: Baseball, soccer was cut um, for now. Baseball is has been up and running. I'm actually helping the dugout being in the medical field they like having somebody medical in the dugout so but we hand sanitize all the hands when they come in the dugout um they're spaced apart they have to have their own water bottles you know so they're doing some precautions they don't shake hands on the field after the game but they're not wearing masks on the field um but so far we live in a relatively small town so far we've been fortunate we haven't had much activity at the baseball field if a student or athlete had an exposure they had to quarantine
0: yeah so yeah okay but the team still goes on that is as long as you've had one person that person just quarantines and doesn't come
1: correct to the, to the game that's what we yeah. have done yeah
0: so how how is your mental health through all of this with with treating patients and I can't even imagine, maybe you can talk a little bit about how much busier you are because of COVID and how many people you have seen or see with COVID, and then how are you coping with that?
1: Yes. Um, I have been in my job location and department for 13 years. So I am closed to new patients. I'm full. So what happens is I have a full schedule, and then somebody will test positive that's in my patient panel and I need to zoom with them because obviously we're not bringing those patients in the office. So it's gotten, I've had to get creative where I have a full schedule, but I'm trying to squeeze in, you know, patient X to check on them, see if they need oxygen at home, see what supportive care they need at home, make sure they don't need to be hospitalized. That coupled with all of the training I've had, because when COVID hit, we all needed training on protocols and treatment plans and tracking measures. And, you know, in the beginning we didn't even have testing supplies and now we have the vaccine. So we're getting questions about the vaccine. So, you know, there's been a lot more zoom calls, morning calls on my commute where we're just getting constant training. So it has been exhausting, but in my career, I've never seen anything like it either. So it's, I hate to use the word exciting, but it's, it's piqued everybody's interest again. None of us are bored, put it that way, even those oh, of God. us who have been doing it a long time.
0: Sure, sure. And, and uh, now with the shots coming out, you, you've got to, I mean, somebody has to administer those shots. You can't do a zoom call to give someone a shot. So how is, that's got to be a whole new thing you have to deal with.
1: Right. So we are just um, immunizing the healthcare workers and long-term care facility residents right now in phase 1A. So I've had my vaccine. I took the Pfizer vaccine. I've had my first dose and I felt fine with it. Um, I encourage your listeners to speak with their own providers and come to a decision for themselves. But personally, I felt fine with mine.
0: The news, it'll be a couple of weeks from the the date that we're recording this before people hear it. But the news as of this morning is that the rollout is much slower than anticipated. Are you you seeing that in the medical field?
1: Yes. Um, My colleagues are even scared to receive the shot, some of my colleagues, whereas I said, I am ready to have it. I told my patients and family, I said, you know, I have felt like I've had no protection for nine months. And now I feel like I have a jacket on, <laughs> you know, having, you know, at least one dose of the vaccine. I'm like, after dose two, I'll have some pants and a shirt on.
0: Right, right. So for sure.
1: I, I'm excited for the vaccine. The The data on it is very encouraging.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, we've been reporting that uh, on the news as well. So it's something like 90, 95% effective, which... I've had flu shots for, for several years now and still gotten the flu. So that's kind of scary. And then and they will say at, afterwards, oh, well, we only got half of the flu cases because the strain that came through this year wasn't the one that was in the shot.
1: Right. So the flu vaccine is 25 to 40% effective. And the two, Moderna and Pfizer have about a 95% efficacy, which is similar to smallpox and polio vaccines. And we don't see smallpox and polio no. because of the vaccine. So I'm very encouraged if we can get enough people immunized.
0: Yeah. So let me go back to my original question. And you're dealing with all of this. And, and we know that methotrexate can make you tired, as you've told us. And yeah. we know that prednisone makes everybody nuts. Yeah. Um, so with with the exhaustion and, and worry... Uh, how is your mental health
1: i just i think it was december of last year so before the pandemic um i actually had my insurance has a caseworker and she called me and she said i'm a caseworker i'm a nurse and i'm looking at all of your appointments and all of your tests and have you ever thought about counseling (laughs) and i'm like oh Oh, yeah, maybe that might be good. (laughs) So it kind of took an outside source. Of course, I recommend counseling to my patients regularly, but it took an outside person saying, you know, Amy, you have a lot going on. Perhaps you might want to talk to someone. Right. And as a provider, I'm so used to being the one helping someone else. So that I think was either a God thing or a blessing in disguise. So I, I started going to counseling in December of last year and I have not stopped with COVID. I have needed it as well. And just some things in my personal life, I have lost some people um, in my life this year. So just lots of different things going on. So it's been helpful and I highly recommend it.
0: Yeah, I, I I would ditto that, and especially you know when I was on the, I started out on eighty milligrams of prednisone, and uh, I, I just I needed it to to help me sort out what was anger because you know little things would set me off, and I'd be set off for days. Like mm-hmm. the reaction was way greater than the offense, if there was in fact even an offense, and I could not sort it out, and I could not stop being mad at people, and. And so the counseling helped me just talk through that and, and figure it out. Was, was that your situation also? Or?
1: Instead of having anger, I just ignored and numbed everything. Like, well, I might be sick, but patient X has so much more than I do. Mm-hmm. So I would invalidate my own reality. And so my counselor, when I started with her said, but how are you feeling? And I'm like, feeling. Um, it's Wednesday. It's. I'd say the temperature. She's like, no, like angry, sad, you know, happy. I'm talking about emotions. And as a mother, as a parent, as a provider in healthcare, you know, as all of the things that we are, my parents are aging and live down the street. They're in good health, but all, all types of caregiving roles are placed on us as individuals I had not thought about myself in years, so it was good for an outside source to say you are a person, you have emotions, what are they, Um, so journaling has actually been very therapeutic for me to kind of just identify what am I feeling and why and start looking into that.
0: You know, we've done, we've done a couple of different things. Jim Kuhn, who is also an advocate, and I should point out that you're an advocate with uh, FSR as, as am I. And then uh, Jim Kuhn has been on the podcast a couple of times. And, and he is um, one of the people that patients can call and, and talk to, and and he's had to retire because of SARC. But he really talks about self-care and mm-hmm. giving yourself permission to get in touch with what's going on with you and Mm -hmm. I hear you saying that you were putting up walls and that you thought you were immune to all of these emotions but you were just bottling it all up and that had to have been liberating to realize you didn't have to do that
1: absolutely absolutely in fact my therapist said you should try screaming and I said well when because you know, that would scare my children. She said, Well, you commute, just do it on the interstate. And so I've tried it and it's very effective. <laughs> so, really,
0: just scream. So you're driving down the interstate and you're screaming?
1: Yes. In fact, she said, You need to do the high pitched scream, almost squeal, and then you need to do the low pitched growl. <laughs> and it's, it works because you have, you know, anybody who has a chronic condition, I don't care what it is. It's not that you're necessarily why me, but it's frustrating because we didn't do anything to get this. Like there's not a choice that Amy made or that John made that caused your sarcoidosis.
0: Right. And for
1: those of us who like to be in control, it's frustrating.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, and when, and when you're busy, you have to be in control because you have to get to the next thing. Yeah. I'm juggling all the, you're you're doing all that. You know, your kids are, you know, they've got to be fed and the Mm -hmm. patient has to be seen and the prescription has to be written. And, and so you just have to take control and you're used to being in control. And then all of a sudden, boom, sarcoidosis and, and you don't feel well. And it's it's just so frustrating, isn't it?
1: It is. I have a massage therapist I've been seeing for years and She's very intuitive. She said, well, Amy, I think God gave you something that you couldn't diagnose yourself and that would slow your rear end down.
0: <laughs> well,
1: I, said, I think you're right.
0: Now let's, let's talk about that because you know some of the people who've come on have talked about having their rear ends slowed down. And these were people who were, were extremely physically active. What, yes. what, could you, or did you enjoy doing before that you can't do or don't do now?
1: Well, I've played soccer in my childhood. And even in high school, I didn't play in college, but once I had children, I started coaching soccer and I've always been a gym goer. I've always been an exerciser. I wasn't doing, um, you know, marathons and cycling these long events, but just, I'm an active person. Mm -hmm. So, in the beginning, that probably was cut short, but I've already picked back up into that because that's just part of who I am. And of course we all feel better when we exercise. Um, but just, you know, I was the one, if somebody had a baby, I took a meal over. If somebody lost a loved one, you know, I, I'm the one who ordered the flowers or whatever. And I've had to realize one of my people in my circle said, Amy, you can do anything, but you can't do everything. Right. And so just giving myself grace that some things just really aren't that important and to take care of the people who matter most and, you know, stop some of the trivial, not that those activities are trivial, but realize that I have needs as well.
0: Mm -hmm. So we've talked about, so you, you've got this esophagus, geel, esophageal uh, issue, and it makes it hard to eat. So, what do you, are you drinking soup all day, or I mean, wh- how? Do, what is it that that prevents you from doing or doing easily?
1: Right. So, the way I realized that was even going on is I started having abdominal pain last summer. So, 2019. We're at the end of 2020. This will probably air in 2021. Uh huh. But. Um, in the summer of 2019, I started having a lot of abdominal pain and bloating, and I work a little bit in our GI department. I cover when some of our providers are out, and so I don't have any family history of colon cancer or anything, but I thought, this is not normal. Um, so my, I went and saw a GI provider, and she said, well, let's just get a CAT scan, because when she pushed, my abdomen was tender. Well, when she did the CAT scan, that's when the spleen lesions showed up. And so methotrexate can cause lymphoma. So Mm. my rheumatologist's radar went up and said, wait a minute, that could be SARC, but what if this medicine I'm giving you for your SARC is causing the lymphoma we were trying to rule out in the first place? Yep. So that led to an upper endoscopy and all this GI testing, the swallowing study, the gastric emptying study, the colonoscopy, the EGD, which is the upper endoscopy. And when I went and saw um, somebody who was looking at my esophagus, because I was having trouble swallowing, he said, you know, you may have an esophageal disorder. I'm going to do this new procedure called an endo flip. And what that is, is while you're asleep and getting your EGD, they measure the pressure of your esophagus. They measure the squeeze. Okay. To make sure it's squeezing okay yeah and i woke up in recovery and he said uh you have zero squeeze i said okay what do i do for that and he said yeah. there's nothing you can do so i wasn't super satisfied with that answer so that's when i saw the esophageal specialist and he said let me confirm that study because it's a newer procedure i want to make sure that it was accurate so he repeated that procedure and he confirmed that I have no squeeze.
0: So, so, you, again, drink, I, so you just eat chicken soup all day? or, or <laughs>
1: yeah. So I said, what do I do for that? He said, well, you chew very thoroughly and you drink liquids, you know, almost between every bite you eat slowly and you have to take reflux medicine pretty much the rest of your life because it's, it's not going down easily. So it's kind of, coming back up too and I had a little bit of erosions in there from where it was coming up I wasn't really having heartburn I just was feeling choked um will will
0: it lead to heartburn eventually because there's a there's a there's a little valve there that keeps the the acid from coming back up and and that valve has to stay in the right position or that's am surprised you you know
1: that yes that's yeah you know lower esophageal sphincter yes right so he measured all of that. And he basically said, just come back to me since he's so specialized. He said, just come back to me when you have more issues right now, I take a um, Meprazole in the morning and Pepsi in the evening and it's controlling my symptoms. As long as I chew, 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 you know, I, I do have to be careful what I eat. I cannot eat and talk because I'll start choking. So that has, disrupted you know family meal times a little bit i have to make sure my mouth is empty before i start to speak um but that was something i had no idea that sarcoidosis caused so if any of your listeners are out there choking (laughs) i encourage you to go Uh, see a specialist
0: yeah i have never heard of that before and of course you know as you mentioned before you don't look sick correct you you look just fine and I'm sure somebody asks you a question, there are certain questions when someone asks you and the last thing you want is silence.
1: Mm-hmm. It's,
0: like, it's like the cell phone thing, right? Somebody mm-hmm. you ask somebody a big loaded question, and that's right when they go out of service. And you thought, mm-hmm. oh, no, oh, no, oh, no, I shouldn't have asked that question, but they were answering it, you just couldn't hear them. I'll bet that happens to you when you're trying to just finish chewing.
1: Yes. <laughs> uh, in- my mom will call me on my lunch break. Cause that might be the only time I get to talk to her uh-huh. and she might have my children if it's summer or break time. And she'll say, can you hear me? I'm like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and she realizes I have to remind people. Yeah. I can't really talk while I'm wow. eating. Wow. Um, one thing mm-hmm. that has changed because I don't look sick. I'll just say this, you know, I have patients who are resistant to taking medicine for diabetes for blood pressure. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And if this has done anything I have now that I've accepted that I have the disease, which took a couple of years, I'm just going to be honest. Um, I have opened up with some of my patients and said, you know, I've shown them a picture of my pillbox and said, do you know how many medicines I take a day and their eyes get big and they say, what's wrong with you? <laughs> because I don't look sick and I'm their right. provider. Right. And I'm like, look, I am in the same boat. I don't want to be on multiple medications and see multiple doctors, but I'm trying to stay alive. I want to meet my grandchildren. Right. And so I don't know that it's always worked, but I think it has, it usually leaves an impression. Um, You know, we're all, we, everybody has their battle, not, not just us. Right. So it's helped me have a better understanding of what my patients go through.
0: Yeah, I have to I have to admit that, uh, you know, because I was so healthy my whole life until sarcoidosis showed up. (laughs) I was I was the guy that never got sick. I was the guy that could run forever. Uh, I could bike forever. I could hike. You know, I was nimble. I played, you know, I played basketball in high school and I wasn't any good, but I was on the team. But, um, you know, the point is, is I, you know, I could do stuff that a lot of people couldn't do. And I think I was arrogant about it. Yes yeah. I, I, th- I thought, well, what's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? And now I just wish I could take it all back.
1: Yes. I, I told myself, I will never tell another patient, you don't look sick or, well, you look great because you never know how that person is, is actually feeling.
0: Right. And you don't know what's going on underneath the surface.
1: Right. And my doctors always say, "Amy, you look great. And I want to look at them and say, do you want me to come in here with no makeup? My hair not done with a cane because I can.
0: Right, <laughs> But right. I'm
1: trying to live, you know, yeah. I'm fighting.
0: Yeah. And I think most of your listeners
1: right. are fighting also.
0: Right. Well, that's why that's why I end this podcast every time. And I just tell people keep fighting. Keep mm-hmm. fighting. You know, we are sarcoidosis warriors, but what, what do warriors do? They fight. So we're we're sarc fighters, as it were. Yeah. Um. So what what do you think of your prognosis going forward? You're taking all these pills. You've got this sort of advanced level of uh, of sarc in your body. You know what? You know what happens next for you.
1: Well, it's been very difficult for my husband. To accept because we do have younger children and he's he doesn't work in healthcare, um, so you know we had to have some sort of not end of life conversations but some very real conversations. I kept telling him I want to go get our wills made, and he said, "Uh, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know." And I said, "No, this is important to me." That doesn't mean I think I'm dying because I don't. And mm-hmm. I will fight every day not to, but I want to have things in order. And so he, we're finally able four years into this to have some of those conversations. Um, so we were able to go get our wills made last year before the pandemic hit. Um, and, you know, so I'm not planning for death. That's not on my agenda, although it will happen to all of us but I just get up each day and try to focus on what I'm grateful for and what I'm able to do. You know, I hope to work as long as I can. I do keep a binder and this is something I recommend for all your listeners. I keep a binder. It's mine's about three inches of all my CAT scans, MRIs, echocardiograms, pulmonary function tests, because if I ever need disability, you know, People think, oh, they'll get all my records, but most of us see so many specialists that even if you hire a disability attorney, it's hard to get all of your records. Mm -hmm. But if you walk in a courtroom with a binder and a list of your appointments you've attended every year for the past however many years, you will get approved much quicker than someone who does not have that paperwork in order. So I told my rheumatologist, I said, I plan to work as long as I can. But if I come in here and tell you I can't work, he said, I'll take you out. You know, he said, all you have to do is say the word.
0: Yeah. Wow. Well, and I tell you, I mean, there are not enough providers right now in the United States. Anybody who wants to go see a specialist is, is used to hearing, okay, yeah, we can see you in six months, four mm-hmm. months, not, not tomorrow, which is when you feel like you need the help. Um, Correct. So uh, I I would imagine if they took you off of the schedule and you've been there for 13 years and you've got patients that you see and are used to seeing you, Mm -hmm. uh, that's a hardship for a lot of people. It is. And that
1: keeps me going. You know, I, I keep fighting for my family first and foremost, right? but for my patients too, they keep me going. So, um, you know, we have a symbiotic relationship They, you know, I fight for them as well.
0: Right. Well, Amy, anything else about your sarcoidosis that you want to share with the listeners on the podcast today?
1: Well, there is a documentary being made and I don't know if you have checked that out, but there's the 11 minute version on Amazon Prime that's free for viewing now. And it's called Surviving Sarcoidosis. If you just search sarcoidosis on Amazon Prime, um, you can find it. The woman who created it is a Sark warrior and she's based out of Louisville, Kentucky, which is interesting. Cause I lived in Kentucky for 18 years of my life. Um, she wanted me to guide your listeners to the actual website for the film, which is purpledocumentary.com. We also have a Facebook page that is about, I think it's Sarcoid Awareness Film is the group I'm getting ready to look on Facebook and tell you. Um, Sarcoid Awareness Film, yes, that's the group. And so we're trying to get the full length documentary made. I think she has Bernie Mac's widow committed. Um, I think she has Karen Duff committed. So some celebrities um, that are committed to the project. And it should definitely raise awareness.
0: Yes, future. you had mentioned that in an earlier email to me. And I, um, I forgot, actually, I think I went and sent an email to someone and asked if they wanted to be on the podcast. I, I'll have to go and check. But um, mm-hmm. anything we can do to help raise awareness about this film, uh, I'd be more than willing to do.
1: Well, I watched the film first and then I invited my children to watch it because they, they know a little bit, but they don't know much. They know mommy goes to the doctor a lot. Mommy sleeps with oxygen. Mommy gets short of breath sometimes if we're going on a hike, but they know mommy takes a shot every Friday. Mommy takes a lot of medicine, but they don't really, really know what it is. It's just, you know, it's hard for adults to understand much less Mm -hmm. children Mm-hmm. Um, but, I, if you get a chance to check out the 11 minute version, it, she did a great job with very little budget.
0: Wow. Okay. Well, um, let's talk after we get off the air here and, and see if we can't make some connections.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely.
0: Okay, great. And do you appear in this at all? Have you, how, what I'm is I'm not your connection in the short
1: it? film, but she plans to use me in the long version, um, She had to cut filming when the pandemic hit because travel restrictions. And of course, all of us that will be in the documentary are at-risk patients. (laughs) So she was thinking ethically, I might need to put that on hold. Um, But she does have part of the long version already filmed.
0: Great, great. All right. Well, Amy, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story here on the podcast. I appreciate it.
1: Thank you for having me, and I'm so excited that you have the podcast. Um, I'm excited because four years ago, when I was diagnosed, which I think is around the time you were diagnosed, if you it typed is. in sarcoidosis, you found the foundation, and then you found a lot of random, strange, bizarre things, but you didn't find a way to connect to other people. Right. And and one other quick plug is the. The summits that FSR puts on, I went to an in-person summit in Birmingham, which was fantastic, pre-COVID, and then I attended the virtual summit in November. And those are great ways to learn more about our disease and meet other SARC <SARS-CoV-2> fighters.
0: Right, right. So I participated in the uh, in the second summit this year and moderated a group discussion, and um, I can't wait until. Uh, covid is over and we can start doing in-person stuff again that that i'm really looking forward to the opportunity to do that
1: me too yeah
0: okay well amy thank you so much and uh, thank you best to you
1: yes happy new year i feel like a zombie just feeding at stumble and
0: So, many, many thanks to Amy for joining me here on the Sark Fighter podcast and for being brave and sharing her story and letting the world know what's going on with her. And some takeaways from the interview once again, it doesn't matter who you are or what you do. Uh, We've had people from all walks of life, and sarcoidosis does not care. It just does not care. Um, But some of the things that we learned from Amy don't be afraid to give yourself grace. Don't be afraid to go to a counselor. Um, they really, really help. Sometimes it's just because your brain gets so twisted around because of the medications. And sometimes, you know, you're mourning the the loss of the life that you once had. And um, I went through it. And Amy went through it. And if you are resisting it, don't. Uh, that, that would be my advice. And that was obviously... What Amy decided to do, and you would think that with her background and her strength and her knowledge of medicine, that you know, if if she finds that it helps, you'll find that it helps also. Uh, and of course, Amy is she's right in the midst of this COVID thing. She's treating COVID patients, still taking care of her family. She signed up to be an advocate as I did in early 2020, and but she hasn't been able to do anything because her office is just wall-to-wall treating people with COVID or doing it virtually or, you know, whatever. But I mean, the the caseload is just, you know, has increased exponentially. So, um, but but she's right in the midst of the medical fight. Um, And then the other thing is, uh, is this documentary that she mentioned, um, I've just recorded my interview with her, and I have not had a chance to watch this uh, eleven minute documentary about sarcoidosis on netflix i'm going to do that, and I, I'm sure I'll be talking about it as, as the show evolves in twenty twenty one and I'm going to follow up and see if there's any way that the Sark Fighter podcast can help out with that documentary in one way or another, raising awareness or um, i you know I don't know what fundraising might look like or what they need or patients to interview or, you know, whatever it is, but uh, I just want to put it out there that um, anything that advances the cause of fighting sarcoidosis or treating our sarcoidosis or making people uh, live with it a, a little more easily, any, anything we can do here, that's what this podcast is all about. So I'll be reaching out and, and then hopefully something will happen with that as we progress through 2021. Uh, again, it is New Year's Day. Uh, that I'm recording this, and you'll be hearing it uh, a little bit later in the month. Uh, but so it may be a bit before I, I know anything uh, about the documentary. But we'll, we'll, I'll keep you posted on that, and look for uh, a link in the show notes as well. Uh, I've been listening to podcasts about podcasting, and the advice that we hear from people is: if you like the show, would you please just tell one person, just tell one person uh, who's in this sarcoidosis space about the podcast. And we can gain one more, one more person who's uh, uh, either benefiting from it or helping to advocate for it, or maybe wants to tell their story, uh, you know, whatever it is. But if you would, if you wouldn't mind, just tell one person. Um, in fact, I and I received an email this morning from the Podbean folks, uh, who are the that's the hosting service that I use, that the Sark Fighter podcast is in the top ten. In the medicine category in the UK, what? <laughs> right? <laughs> I mean, like, no way. It was it ranked seventh in the UK um, in the medicine category. Now, you know, for all I know, there's only ten, but you know, I, I'd like to think that there's you know it's a pretty popular category. And so the fact that the podcast is in the top ten, I'll take that. I'll take. I'll take. You know, when I first opened the microphone and started talking, I didn't know if anybody was going to listen to this. Um, so that, that was just a a really neat find that just was one of these, uh, uh, one of the statisticians from uh, Podbean. I'm sure it's auto generated, but you know, they look at the data and lo and behold, there it was. And, and I'll take it, um, please send me an email. If you like the show, if you have some thoughts on the show, maybe you want to appear on the show, tell your story. Uh, it's in the show notes as well. Follow the Sark Fighter on Instagram and on Facebook. And on Instagram, it is the Sark Fighter with the word the. Uh, and on Facebook, if you just search Sark Fighter, you'll find my Facebook page. And thanks once again to Amy for joining me here today. Happy New Year to all of you. It's very early in 2021 as you're listening to this. And let's hope that it's been that it'll be better than 2020 for all of us. Until next time, keep fighting.